Good morning, Grace Covenant. I adore your pastor. We've known each other for so many years, well over 35 years. I think I met him when I was two or three. <laughs> but I love him and I love this church and always the opportunity to be with you. Add somebody next to you and say, who is reimaging you? Did they answer you? <laughs> the Apostle Paul, speaking to the saints of Rome, to these early believers, it was written to these saints in Rome. It was written to them, but written for us. What is he saying is going to be relevant to them and relevant to us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a holy or living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, your reasonable service of worship, your logical service of worship. Because it's only logical that you should present your bodies after he's presented his body. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may indeed prove what the will of God is, that which is good and, and acceptable and perfect. Here, the Apostle Paul in chapter 12 begins with the phrase, therefore, I urge you, I urge you, therefore, therefore points back to what precedes it. It points back to all that's been said prior to the point of getting to chapter 12. And we see something about the nature and character of God that has everything to say and everything to do with what he's about to convey to them. See, in chapter 2, he talks about the kindness of God that leads to repentance. In chapter 11, it's the patience of God. Aren't you glad that God is patient? That God is long-suffering, as the Bible says. He is patient with us. Chapter 5 and chapter 8 talk about the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? And then the word grace, the grace of God is woven throughout those first 11 chapters. And now in chapter 12, he says, therefore, I urge you, based on the very nature and character of God Almighty, I urge you. I urge you by the mercies of God. And so it's based on that, on that foundation. But let's add to that. In chapter 11, in verse 36, he says this, that from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything that exists comes from God. It is sustained by God and it exists to give him glory. Based upon that foundation, therefore, I urge you, I urge you. When Paul says, I urge you, when you hear that word urge, it sounds like it's somewhere between a charge, a command, and a plea. As if Paul is saying, if I could force you to receive and embrace and apply what I'm about to tell you, I would do it. But I understand something. Its application, its productivity in your life, its relevance to you will only be realized if you own it for yourself. So he says, I urge you. One translation says, I beg you. I beg you by the mercies of God to do what, Paul? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy and a living sacrifice. To bring forth your body, to present it to God, that indeed God would have your body. Now, when Paul is talking about presenting your bodies, he's not talking 
about an outer body experience where you give God your body for a few hours, but your mind and your emotions and your will and your attitude stays over here. But he's saying, in essence, to present your bodies is to present the totality of yourself. It's to present yourself to God. Because when I present my body, I'm presenting all of me. It's interesting. In Colossians chapter 3, we're told that as we give ourselves to God, that our bodies are to be yielded, that our bodies are to be offered up to God, that our bodies and its members are to be dead to immorality and impurity and all these expressions. Because did you know your body's a temple? And that your body has a membership in the temple? Your hands, your feet, your eyes, your arms, your legs are the members of your body. So he says, consider the members of your body as dead to immorality and impurity and and all these expressions of sin that he begins to list, that they are dead to those things. Now, I realize something. If my legs are dead to sin, then they won't take me places I shouldn't go. If my eyes are dead to sin, then I won't see things I shouldn't see. See, if my hands are dead, I won't touch things I shouldn't touch. Ask somebody, is it getting personal? (laughs) So he says here that we are to indeed present our bodies like in the military when a superior walks in and everybody stands at attention. They're saying we are positioned, we are set to embrace your charge, your command, what you are calling us to do. And so God says, present your body, present the totality of who you are. And what is your body? Your body is a walking, talking billboard. It's the screen of your life. See, what is revealed in your body, what is seen in your body conveys what's happening on the inside of you. It's the screen of who you are. It's the billboard of what you believe and what you value. So here he says, present your bodies to God. And so here, Paul looks at this dealing with the saints of God and with the same degree of passion when he says, I urge you, I I charge, I, I implore you, I beg you to present your bodies. He says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That idea is that we are in the midst of the transformational work of God, God is engaged in a work of transformation in our lives. God is working on us. See, the work of salvation is the reality of what God brought us out of. He brought us out of darkness into the light. He brought us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been taken out. That's, that's the work of salvation. But the work of transformation is what God has taken out of us. How many know when you gave yourself to Christ, you came and you had a glorious event of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It was awesome. He became king and Lord of your life. How many know that you came out of some stuff when you came to Jesus? But how many know there was still some stuff still in you that needed to come out? And so transformation then is about adjusting, about changing, about turns that God is doing to get, out of, get stuff out of us that needs to come out of us. See, the call of the Christian walk is a call to genuineness and faith. God doesn't want us to be fake. He wants us to be real. 
He's looking for true disciples and followers of his. So that idea, be transformed. That word transform in the original language of the New Testament, it's the word metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. A metamorphosis, a change, a, a change of the form of something. We see this. We see it in, in different phases. The idea to move from a state of immaturity to a state of maturity. How many like stories? I'm going to tell you a story. Yes. Once upon a time, boys and girls, <laughs> there was a, a prince who was deeply in love with a fair maiden. And he loved her dearly, and she loved him. And, but one day, the enemies of the prince came and took the fair maiden, took her out of his kingdom, took her to a castle, put her up in a high tower. And the prince was undone by that. And he began to call upon the creatures of his kingdom to help him. And so the first creature he called was Claude the caterpillar. And Claude came, and Claude, you know, moving kind of slow, but he got there. Claude is dutiful. Claude will do the job, but Claude has attitudinal issues. <laughs> things get to him. Things bother him. He gets upset easily. He's touchy. I mean, if Claude was sitting next to you, you would know it because he would just have some problem. You're too loud. You're lifting your hands too high. I can't see. He, he gets disturbed by things. <laughs> Claude is there to serve, however, and, and the, the prince tells Claude and gives him a message to relay to the fair maiden. Claude now goes out to do what he's been commissioned to do. But Claude has to go, and it's raining. And oh, okay, now here's a caterpillar going in the rain. It's starting to upset him. He's getting disturbed, and he just said, look, this is raining. I just got this suit cleaned. I mean, he is upset. He's going along. He gets to the castle, and there's a vine, and he begins to climb up the vine, only to discover that the vine is a rose bush. And as he's climbing up, he's going, ouch, 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 and he's getting madder, and he's getting more upset. He finally makes it up to the ledge and looks in the window, and he sees this lady in the room. And he says, hey, lady. Come here. She comes over. He says, are, are you the maiden in distress? She says, I am. And he looks her up and he looks her down. And he says, you, you mean I came all this distance for the likes of you? The prince could do better than this. Well, anyway, I've got a message to relay to you. The prince is coming and he wants you to be ready at five o'clock. So the prince now begins to talk to his second messenger, which is Barney the butterfly. Barney has a great attitude. He loves to do the things that he's been commissioned to do. He loves life. He enjoys life. He just has a great time. He meets with the prince. The prince gives him a message. He goes on his way. Now, Barney is a little bit insecure about flying in the rain and the wind, but he does it anyway, and he does it with a good attitude. And he's going along, and he's going along. A bird comes down and almost eats him alive. And they kind of have this kind of fighter, bomber, uh, warfare going on, but he gets away, and he makes it to the castle, and he flies up the wall, and he gets into the window and flies and rests upon the finger of the fair maiden. And he says to the fair maiden, 
Oh, beautiful and favorite fair maiden, the prince deeply loves you. And when he calls out your name this evening, jump from the tower and he will catch you. And the fair maiden looks at the butterfly and says, oh, beautiful butterfly, what a sweet disposition you have. Please tell me what was wrong with the first messenger. And the butterfly says, oh, you mean Claude. Claude has issues. He has a problem. He gets upset by stuff, things disturb him. But the butterfly then looked at the fair maiden and says, but understand, I used to be just like Claude before I was transformed. How many know we need to be transformed? Sometimes we can have both personalities in one day. Ask somebody next to you, do you have multiple personalities? (laughs) Okay, it's starting to get scary in here. Be transformed. The transformational process of God. So I realized something. As Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, he who began a good work in us is perfecting it unto the day of Christ Jesus. That once I begin and experience the work of salvation where God brings me out of darkness, I immediately step into that new realm, which is the work of transformation. And God is at work. He's working on me. He's working on me. How many ever have experienced, you know, that God is working on you? that things are happening. Even when we receive it, God is working on us. Even when we don't receive it, God is working on us. And sometimes he has to cause all things to work together for good, to adjust some things in our life, to get us to a place. And you know, what's so interesting. Many times people will quote that verse and he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means no matter what I'm going through, God's going to bring it out. It's going to turn out great. And I'm going to get that house or that car or I'm going to get married next year. He's going to cause it all to work together for good. But that really is not the context. The context is God is causing all things to work together for good so you would be conformed into his image, that you'd become more like Jesus. And so here we see that we're in a transformational work. And if we are going to indeed reflect the transformation in our life, then we have to come to a point of realizing that it doesn't happen apart from us. It happens in concert with us. God is working in a transformational process on us, and we in turn have to turn and be a part of that transformational process. We got to be a part of what God is producing, God is calling us to. And if there's going to be transformation in my lifestyle, transformation in my life, on the screen of my life, there has to be a change in my thought life. I've got to begin to think differently. Ask somebody, what are you thinking about right now? Okay, don't tell me, don't tell me. I want to stay focused. There's got to be a change. Because when you gave your life to Christ and you experienced what the Bible says, salvation, you got saved instantaneously at that moment, you became a child of God. It was declared over you that you're holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That's your status before God. It's based on what the blood has done, not what you've done. And so you stand before him holy, blameless, 
based on the grace and goodness of God. You are alive in Christ. You're ready to go forward except for one thing. There's still some messy stuff in your head. The idea of re-imaging is so important. In the computer world, it's the idea to remove those programs and re-institute or re-establish everything because obviously something has happened in that computer that has compromised the operational system of the computer. And see, the operational system is that program that runs all the other programs. And so if that is compromised, if that's corrupted, then you have problems. It may be a virus, it may be spyware, whatever it may be. Have you ever gone on your computer and begin to pull up something on a website and maybe you're looking for, let's say, a television. You look and you find a television online and you go, okay, I'll come back to that. Looks pretty good. And you go and you eat some emails, do some other stuff. You can go back online, you're looking at other stuff, and all of a sudden on your side of your screen is that television. <laughs> hey, that's interesting. You go back and you do some other emails, you go back, and before you know it, it comes up again. And you realize, that must be a very popular television. It keeps coming up over and over until you realize that you've been checking them out and they've been checking you out. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you step into the mentality of this world system, the mentality of this world system steps inside of you. And so he says, look, we got to do something. We got to renew our minds. We got to renew our minds, to to bring our minds back to a place of alignment with God, to reset our minds. We got to come back to a place where our minds, much like was in the garden when man was created, Adam and Eve, before the sin, there was no obstruction between them and God. They had the ability, as it says, to walk with God in the cool of the day. I mean, that must have been really cool. To be able to walk with God, talk with God, and freedom and openness before God. Nothing in the way. He says, I want you to renew your mind. Come back to that place of purity. Come back to that freshness. That all the trappings and all the stuff that you accumulated over all these years that stand against the the word of God. Renew your mind and come back to the freshness of right alignment with me. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here, Paul says, okay, you need to be re-imaged. We all need to be re-imaged. And there are two ways that we can be imaged and re-imaged. One is first, this world. And when he talks about the world, he's not talking about landscapes and hills and and the whole nine yards of, of the natural realm. He's talking about what is happening in terms of man's disposition against God. Man's rebellious nature against God. The spirit of this age that doesn't agree with the word of God or the mind of God. He says, now, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world, as J.B. Phillips' translation says, don't let this world around you squeeze you into its mold. This world wants to squeeze, it wants to shape you, it wants to mold you. This world is, how many, how many have felt the press of this world? You can feel it through media, you can feel it through social media, you can feel it through different, you can feel it through television, you can feel it in any way, you can feel it in your job. This world system is saying, I need you to agree with us. I know what you say you believe about God, but this is what we think about God. And this is what we think about morality. And this is what, how we define family. See, this world system is saying, I want to shape you into the mold of this world system. And the Bible says, no, no, don't let this world squeeze you in this mold. 
Don't let this world do this for understand it's, we're charged in 1 John to love not the world, nor the things in the world. For if the love of the world is in us, then the, we don't have the love of the Father. He says, in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Now, that's the stuff we came out of, remember? He says, don't go back into that. Don't have that, that relationship because if you love this world, it's, we're told we're at enmity with God. So come out of this mentality and let it come out of you. Be transformed by the renewing, the way you think. Don't let this world have a grip on your life. I look at this. And he says, now, understand, there's a second option, and that's the will of God, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. He says that you may prove it. Now, we don't have to prove that the will of God is true. We don't have to prove that it's right. All we have to do is apply it so we can reveal how right it is. When you give yourself to the will of God, you're going to see the truth that God is always right. Okay, let me say it again. When you submit yourself to the will of God, you can discover that God is always right. And God never calls you to get something out of your life without bringing something better into your life. Wouldn't it be great? How many people love food? How many people eat food on a regular basis? <laughs> you know, that's one of the challenges about food. I mean, the discipline of food is you try to be disciplined, but you have to eat it. But you need to be disciplined with it, but you got to eat it. So it, it, it creates a struggle. And some of us have struggles when it comes to eating food. What if you could eat whatever you wanted all the time, anytime, whatever you wanted? What, all the t- Imagine if you could eat all the pies. Oh, Apple pie, peach pie, lemon meringue pie, coconut cream pie. What, what if you could just eat German chocolate cake, 16 layer? If you could eat red velvet cake, 7 up, upside down cake? If you could eat all the stuff, I mean, even the stuff, the crazy stuff that people do, like fried Oreos and everything that they do, all that crazy. If you could just eat it all, all the time, it just, oh man, it, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, the only thing that would happen is maybe you gain about 100 pounds a year, okay? Okay, that, that may happen. That, that could happen. That's all right. That's all right. And let's say you do this for a few years. So maybe you're about, you know, five, 600 pounds. Okay, that's all right. It's all right. Why is it all right? Because there's a pill you can take. And you take that pill, and immediately, within seconds, all that weight would just fall off. And all the residual effects, the negative things of not having discipline were removed. No medical issues, nothing. Everything would just fall off like that. And you would be thin, and you would be healthy, and you would be strong. Isn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> but that's how many Christians think. They think that after weeks and months and years of giving myself to certain practices and, re- and giving myself to certain expressions and living this way and living that way and going this way and going that way and letting the members of my body take me certain places I shouldn't go and doing those things, then I expect to come to church on Sunday morning, get one message and be transformed. It is a process. Every day I've got to make a decision for God. 
Every day I've got to rise up and submit to his will and submit my mind, set my mind on the things above and not of this world. Transformation. There was an Amish family who had always lived on the farm. They'd never been off the farm. And they had the ability this particular time to go and visit the city and stay in a hotel. It was mom and, and dad and their son, and they got the horse and the buggy, and they rode down into the city. And, and then they go in the midst of all the cars and the buses and everything, cutting in Uber. Everybody's like, what is this? They're going all around. And they get in, and they come down to where the hotel is. And just before the, they look, they look at this hotel, and it's amazing. It, it, it seems like it's touching. Heaven is so big, multi-complex. And, and so... The, Dad says, come on, son, we leave mom here in the buggy. She'll stay with the luggage. We're going to go check in. They go into the hotel, and they step into the lobby, and it's beautiful. It's opulent. They had never seen anything like this before in their lives. They, they're just like, wow. That's, that's all, they, all they could say was, wow, wow. I mean, they were so caught up, they said it backwards, wow. But they saw something they had never seen before, an elevator. And they go, oh, what is that? And all of a sudden, a lady, an elderly lady in a wheelchair, rolls over to the elevator. She hits the, one of the buttons, the doors open. Wow. She rolls in, the door closes. They begin to see the lights on the elevator begin to ascend. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then they begin to descend. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. The door opens, and this strikingly beautiful lady walks out. <laughs> and the dad and the son look at each other going, wow, what? Well, that's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. And the father turns over to his son and says, go get your mother quickly. <laughs> Transformation takes time. It's no magical process. We got to give ourselves to the disciplines of God's mind, his ways, his will, his word. Every day, giving ourselves to the word of God. Hand me my passion translation. I want to read one verse to you. Thank you. Same, still in Romans chapter 12, but I want you to hear this in the passion translation. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies. I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reform a reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. God has called you to a beautiful life, a beautiful life as he so designs. Let God re-image you. Let the will of God take you to places you need to be. Father, seal this reality. Let us not just be hearers. Let us, Father, be cognizant of what is manifested through this body and how it should reflect our allegiance, our trust, and our faith in you. In Jesus' name.